Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. You know, they say that an elephant is a horse designed by committee. Um, I think the list of uh, names for the London Overground lines that were come up with yesterday were definitely come, you know, uh, arrived at by committee. And it's really interesting that kind of kerfuffle on social media about this yesterday. The, the, there were seemed to be two sides to this story. There, one was the kind of Daily Mail side of you know working itself up into a into a rage about this. Uh, has the political correctness gone mad? And then and then the the opposition who worked themselves up into an equal rage purely because the Daily Mail has got themselves in a rage. You know what I mean? They yeah. must be a good. They must be a good thing because the Daily Mail are against them. And the fascinating thing to me about about the names is that, that however they're arrived at, they're crap names. They're just crap names. You know, nobody's ever going to call anything the Lioness Line. The Lioness Line. It's the simply, mu- it the doesn't... Mile tra- line, the Windrush Line. It's, My local's now the Windrush Line. Oh, dear. We'll God. be taking the Windrush tomorrow. <laughs> suffragette. Suffragette Line. It was a lovely tweet from our old pal Andrew Harrison about that. He said, uh, said uh, taking the Suffragette Line, he said, uh, don't lean on me, man. I can't afford a ticket. Oh, can't <laughs> afford the ticket. And because I was thinking uh, that, that all these lines have got, it could have musical associations, yeah, historical musical associations. And so I've come up with some. Oh, uh, this is good. Go this, this is my alternative. Now, the Lioness Line, we, know, we all know, goes from Euston to Watford Junction. So... Elton, the young Elton used to take this, you know, yes. to go, go and see Watford. He, I was watching an interview the other day, we were talking about it. So obviously, the Elton line, the Elton line just works, doesn't it? Perfect. It is. Uh, and you take the line... And you feel for, better for being on it, too. Absolutely. You take the mild May line, which is from Stratford to Richmond. That is the Those. line that the young Andrew Luke Oldham took from his mother's place in Hampstead Heath 
when he went over to Richmond and first saw the Rolling Stones. Fantastic. Uh, now, the Stones, well, you could get Stones lines, I suppose. The Mick line somehow feels right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Mick line. Uh, the Windrush line is is Highbury uh, and Clapham Junction to West Croydon. And so, uh, who do we associate with, with Croydon? Who started a career in Croydon? Kirsty McCall. The Kirsty line. That Kirstie works. Line. It, 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 does. It, work, it works. The Weaver line goes from Liverpool Street to Cheson. Now, there's two alternatives here, because Cheson was where Cliff Richard first came from, you know, and so Move It, his first hit, was written when somebody was stuck on a bus outside Cheson, intricately enough. So you could call it the Cliff line, but because it goes through White Hart Lane Station, I feel you've been missing an opportunity if you didn't call it the White Hart line. Uh, yeah, I feel absolutely everybody in London would agree on that. Suffragette, that seems reasonable. Suffragette, a little bit Spurs-centric, but absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. Suffragette line goes from Gospel Oak to Barking, and so the Bragg line, the Billy Bragg line. Yes, actually. the Bragg line. And uh, the Liberty line finally goes from Romford to Upminster, so the Dury line. You know, the Upminster kid, Ian Dury. Yes, yeah, yes. So, so if anybody's got better <laughs> ideas than that, well, you know, keep it to yourself. Those are superb. You're a bit late, Dave. To announce that the day after it's been decided, you could have been in the running. The Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. Very, very sad news about Steve Wright last week. And uh, it was just interesting seeing the enormous response uh, about from people who, comedians actually, a lot of comedians talking about how influential he was. Um, you know, Charlie Higson talking about how he, he, the characters from the Fast show, were, a lot of them were kind of based on ideas from his show, Rob Bryden and various people. But I thought one of the interesting things was the technicalities of what he did. Danny Baker had, had tweeted a thing saying, um, to work the radio, to master and elevate radio, to play with and extend the possibilities of radio, that is the trick. And I thought that was interesting because... You know, I remember, and you do too, working at Radio 1 on various things at the time, you know, in the 80s when when uh, Steve Wright's show was really taking off. And what I remember was that people like Bates, I stood in for somebody before Bates once. I can remember Bates, I used to arrive literally about five minutes before the programme, do the pro- all the stuff was with the box, and there were the records he was going to play with, a few notes from the producer about things he might say or gigs he could mention or whatever, and he left about 10 minutes after. Steve Wright used to arrive at about 9 o'clock in the morning and yeah, work all day. He did. And all up until the point where he broadcast at 4 o'clock, but all day, not on to that day's programme, on the next day's programme. And listen, so, he, he did that, you know, because I used to see him when I used to do the things with Johnny Walker you know, sort of five years ago or whatever at, at um, Wogan House, and he was always there. You always, Steve Wright just lived there, you know, he just, he just worked on that stuff. Every hour that God sent, he worked on that stuff. So it wasn't a case of, you know, that when he, when he did it, having done it 30, 40 years, he, he, he felt he could, he could wing it. He didn't at all. You know no, I mean? not remotely. He absolutely it, put himself into it. And he, his whole thing was preparing those packages. As you remember, the show was, some of it was live, obviously, and it was him just introducing them. Um, music and just filling and doing links and stuff but a lot of it was these packages with his with his gang you remember yeah, mr yeah. angry and all those guys and uh you know the the pretentious music critic and they were really funny it was kind of kind of pre it was kind of anti-woke before woke was invented wasn't it do you remember the pretentious music critic it always used to say talk about sonic cathedrals of sound <laughs> really good and there was a kind of ineffectual uh, uh kind of uh social worker 
just brilliant characters. But I mean, all that stuff was put together as pre-records, wasn't it? And I remember when we were talking to our old pal Trevor Dan about him, he was saying he that Steve Wright hated hated breathing. He hated <laughs> any gaps at all. Yeah. And he would record an interview, even with you know somebody promoting a book or a film or whatever. He would, he would pre-record that so all the tiny little gaps could be taken out so it moved this incredible pace. And that was really interesting. I was trying to think where that... I mean, everyone always talks about zoo radio. But actually, his format, was, in some ways, was a bit like Rowan and Martin's laughing, which mm. you and I are just about old enough to remember, wasn't it? Where you have a central host, and then you just have a, a, a range of standard characters come in with their one-liners. And, uh, and it was ca- kind of catchphrase radio, wasn't it, before uh, anyone else was really kind of doing that. Mm. But, um, but he was working on all sorts of other things... Uh, the time well, wasn't they developing something at Radio Two, weren't they? Well, I mean, uh, who, who knows? I mean, there's been the usual you know, speculation in the press about uh, about fallings out at Radio Two and so forth over the years. I mean, it was undoubtedly the case that that Radio Two moved him from the afternoon slot. What was it? Just over a year ago or something. That's when we had Trevor in on the podcast. Yeah. So, talking about what made him remarkable, what made Steve Wright remarkable as a broadcaster. And subsequently, he carried on doing the the weekly, his love songs thing, and that was just a weekly thing. But Radio 2 uh, are now having, it seems from the outside, now having, uh, you know, uh, pensioned off a load of older presenters to replace, in order to get younger ones in there feel that they have to somehow get the elder ones back to do some, some some kind of ancillary service, you know, to still play the old, still play Build Me Up Buttercup by the Foundations or whatever <laughs> alongside the latest Taylor Swift record. And um, and so... Well, you know, that's the threat of Greatest Hits Radio, presumably to some extent, isn't it? Well, in not Ken just Greatest no, Hits but it's also Boom Radio. You know, there's, they, they've definitely left their left their flank uncovered. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Yeah. Radio 2. And, uh, and of course, you know, Radio 2 draws itself up to its full height, you know, in cases like this. And and the natural reaction is people say, but didn't you get rid of this guy? <laughs> didn't you move him on, you know? And uh, Steve Wright... Did exactly to Radio 2 what they did to Radio 1 back in the late 90s. Well, really, okay. And Just, but but I say that with Radio Two, I do think it's kind of interesting that that all the all the kind of radio heads have been moved on. You know what I mean? And Steve Wright was, you know, he'd be the first one to say himself, "Great face for radio." You know, that's what he yeah. did. He did radio. Whereas radio, if you look at Radio Two schedules nowadays, entirely dominated by TV faces. That's how you get hired, Radio 2. You become famous through TV or, I don't know, it'll move on from TV, so it'll be YouTube or it'll be a social media influencer or whatever. You're highly, just unlikely, at- highly unlikely to come up through radio the way that Steve Wright did. You know, was, I was just looking at the various people on Radio 2 at the moment. Rob Beckett, Ryan Clark, Natalie Appleton, Rick Astley, Cat Dealey, Gabby Logan, Alex Jones. Your you point go. entirely. There you go. All of them TV stars. That's uh, guaranteed, I, supposedly, to bring some kind of constituency with them. And I, I think it's, it's sort of well, I don't think I don't think I don't think that's proven myself. I no, see, I don't. Either. I can see why the people who run radio stations do it, um, but I don't think it's entirely it's entirely proven. 
and you see, I, I if Steve Wright is the kind of last of the of the radio people, although as to be fair, you could say people like Chris Evans are are the same thing, you know. I think the great thing about genuine radio stars, and Steve Wright and Chris Evans and John Peel and I don't know Emperor Roscoe and all kinds of people you can think of, is there was a little bit of them that was slightly mad. They yeah, were, oh yes, there was just something that was slightly unbalanced. Yeah, and that and that's great. It and is. You're, you're replacing with TV people. TV people are just different. TV people are only bothered about one thing, which is being on television. TV people are also far more self-conscious. They're far more, they're obsessed with how their image and whether or not they're doing anything that might, yeah, uh, yeah. might affect that. Radio yeah. people have none of that. They just have that freedom to go off at any at tangents, at any direction at all, yeah. and just experiment. Whereas I, I, I've always felt that all the, all the big radio stars I've known They've all slightly screwed Slightly loose. bonkers. <laughs> slightly bonkers. And I but is that like... kind of radio still going on? You know, the idea that the things that Steve Wright did, which were, you know, incredibly creative, as I say, all those characters that he brought on that influenced the, just the start of Stellar Street and Fast Show and all that, you know. And I, I was looking at people like Danny Baker and Chris Morris and Danny Baker, you know, doing radio with no scripts, uh, his improvisation, his idea of riffs where the show was built about interaction with the audience. Oh, we're doing, you know, uh, unusual instruments on pop records. People would ring up saying, oh, I found this is the trouser press being played on a track by the Bonzo Dog Doodle. And also Chris Morris, that psychedelic whimsy and those spoof phone calls and his invented news bulletins, you know, all that that eventually, you know, started on the hour and brass eye in the day-to-day. I mean, is there anybody making that kind of radio? I don't really know. That's slightly different, I know, from from a, a music-based format where you're meant to be playing pop music the whole time. But, I mean, is there anyone doing that? Or is that just, has that creatively moved somewhere else? I think it probably has moved somewhere else because, you know, back in the day, if you wanted to start a kind of riff going about odd instruments played on records, for instance... Radio was the place to do it. Nowadays, you've got social media. Yeah. And so if you were a kind of Phil Cornwell figure starting up now, you'd be on Instagram, wouldn't you? You'd be on YouTube. (laughs) You'd just do what you did. You wouldn't wait to be hired by somebody. You'd get out there and do it yourself, you know. It's a different world. This is a junction in the word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. And connecting with that, I don't know if you saw the story about Tommy Vance. Really I interested did. me. We were talking about Boom Radio. Boom Radio is a kind of uh, well, it's 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 for the um, it's for the baby boom generation. so it's uh, it's presumably somewhere where you can uh, still hear um, you know the big hits of the. You can you can hear "Build Me Up" Buttercup. On you can hear, I'm sure you can. You can, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, listen, and it, it, you know, it was launched probably what about about two years ago, and it's been enormously successful. Yeah, and it's got all all your old you know favorites. You know, I don't know, you might read and so forth, and they're all pretty much broadcasting from their from their bedrooms at home. You know, because these yeah. people want to be on the radio. And Nicky Horns there, isn't he? I think people. Like and, that. and they've done really well out of it, and they've clearly put the wind up radio too. Oh, completely. There's no doubt about that. Oh, yeah. So anyway, no, but I noticed the story that they were saying that they were bringing back Tommy Vance. 
Now, obviously, Tommy Vance, as we know, Tommy Vance died 20 years ago. But what they're doing is using AI to uh, to feed, in, feeding into AI a load of recordings of Tommy Vance and thus being able to 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 produce links. I mean, I don't know. Tommy Vance was broadly about a kind of a, 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 a vocal texture, wasn't he? That lent itself to a denim aftershave and still stuff like that. But uh, and it was also kind of slightly kind of catchphrases, wasn't he? So I can see why it's possible to do that. They have already constructed Tommy Vance saying "Rock." That's why we're here. So it's that's things like that. They're, they're, they're you, did you ever see? Show. Did you ever see Tommy in the studio doing that? Oh yeah, it's on, I did he used it. I'm gonna, I'm going to attempt to do this with my microphone now. You know, I'm talking quite close to the microphone. I'm a couple of inches away from it. Tommy would literally touch the microphone yes, with did. his lips and talk like this with his unbelievable voice. Yeah. And and then <laughs> Tommy and he had, called himself the larynx on legs. Larynx on legs. The TV on the radio. TV. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. And, you just have to lean into the mic, don't you? Yeah, and you suddenly sound like Tommy fans. And but the great thing Tommy had was his utter commitment to whatever he was going to say. It could be absolute gobbledygook. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. wouldn't matter. He would say it as if it was the you know as if it had been handed down to him from Mount Olympus. You know, that's what he did. So, you know, boom radio, I've got him saying, rock. That's, right. that's why we're here. <laughs> and it, it, it worked. Hey, listen, Tommy, I think Orion's saying, nobody will be more delighted than Tommy to feel that his voice was, you know, continuing even, even after he was no longer here. He would be absolutely He'd thrilled. Be thrilled. He'd be absolutely thrilled. <laughs> Did I tell you my favourite Tommy Van story? I worked with Tommy many times. <laughs> he was, he was, uh, he was always wearing a leather jacket, wasn't he? He was wearing yeah. a, a leather leather blouse on, and uh, and uh, and shades, wasn't he? Yeah, Never seen it. Probably with maybe something like camel on the back or whatever. <laughs> yeah, go on. <laughs> we were. Um, I was in Memphis, Tennessee, when we did, went with VH1 and we did a week's worth of programs. And Tommy used to do the rock show on VH1. So Tommy was obviously there. And everybody else was, uh, you know, zipping about doing loads of different things, interviewing people and, you know, doing remotes and all kinds of things. But Tommy, Tommy just did what Tommy did. He didn't do anything else, you know. And uh, and we were staying in the Peabody Hotel, which is a splendid old hotel in Memphis. And I was sitting in the reception one day with Genevieve Lewis, who you know, <laughs> Genevieve was producer. And um, and uh, and I said, "Where's Tommy?" And she says, "Oh, Tommy doesn't do anything before midday." <laughs> and we're, why were the crack we're, of noon? No, listen. Why we were sitting there? I heard a ding to announce the elevator had just landed on that floor. The doors open. Out came Tommy. Shades, leather blues on. And I looked at the clock. 12 o'clock. 12 o'clock. Ding. 12 o'clock rock. <laughs> That's when he came. So he it's a rich ever. source of stories, that trip, because it only last week you were talking about, or the other week you were talking oh, about yeah. Paul King and his sarong. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very good. 
Yeah. But so, all that links slightly into into the idea of, 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 of actors' voices being kept permanently alive. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. On, on doing voiceovers, you know, because you're constantly listening to, to audio versions of books or whatever, and they're read by people who, you know, some of whom died a while ago, but they're but still, you know. If you listen to Radio 4 Extra or they, those things, you, you're, very, you, you're settling in to listen to some old Jeeves and Wooster, where Jeeves is played by Richard Bryars. And, yeah. uh, and sorry, Jeeves is played by Michael Horden and Bertie Wooster is played by Richard Bryars. And you realise that they both, you know, they both uh, joined the Choir Invisible many years ago. You yeah. know, but, but their voices can just go on and on and on because, you know, old sound doesn't date, does it really? No, it There's doesn't. a limit to how long you can run old TV programmes. But but old radio programs you can you can go on with forever. And I was I, I was I happened to be listening to an audio book the other day, and thought, God, this is well read. This is really good. And I looked in it. I think it was uh, Michael Wood or whatever the actor. And I thought, I wonder if he's still with us. And I looked him up. He'd been dead twenty years. And I I didn't know how I felt about that really. <laughs> that I'd been walking about. Having a kind of relationship with the Completely. person who was dead, you know. Yeah. Because I was spending hours a day pretty much listening to this this one person read this, you know, quite demanding book. Um and uh, but I, I'm sure he'd be thrilled to to know that it was it was still going on. I told so, you the old guard. It's a story about Eric Idle. <clears throat> oh God, yeah. Did you follow that? It's really interesting because Eric Idle simultaneously bleating about the fact that at the age of uh, 81, he still has to work, uh, and then sounding incredibly disappointed that Monty Python isn't still earning him money. I mean, I, I, I couldn't really understand that. I mean, the way Monty Python would still earn money would be that the, the, there'd be touring or something like that. There'd be tickets they could sell on the back of it, which they're not doing. Um, it would be still selling vast quantities of records, which obviously it isn't because the people who have those records uh, have already got them. And I don't think Monty Python is in any way in the frame anymore. It doesn't seem remotely fashionable or hit, does it, with anybody under under 60? Does anyone under 60 really care about Monty Python? I don't know. I don't know. And even those over 60 kind of think that it's now a bit dated, you know. And uh, and also there'd be the the movies. I mean, the movies, some of which Life of Brian particularly, are still really good. And there would be some kind of revenue in them being streamed. But the idea that Monty Python itself is still producing a large amount of money for the people who worked on it is, is preposterous, don't you think? Who would have thought yeah. that? And it seemed a bit Nobody. odd to me that he's... I think he was responding to the fact, the understandable um, thing, that a lot of people will probably think, oh, he's Eric Idle. He's very famous, therefore he's got a huge, great bank vault full of cash, which is cannot be the case, you know what I mean? Because you don't know, you don't know how much people earn. You know, <laughs> people invest money, they lose money. Some people do well out of things. Some people do less well out of things. And also in the case of Monty Python, there were a load of them. You know, there were. How many of them were there? No, well, there were six. Six of them. Yeah. Six of them. So whatever it was was shared between between the six of them. And, uh, you know, Michael Palin went on to, to have a totally, uh, a, a probably a bigger career as, oh, a, yeah, bigger. as a best-selling uh, author and, a, yeah. and, uh, and TV presenter. Uh, and John Cleese has frantically <laughs> done things 
you know, had uh, you know had to keep working largely because four, of the number, number wives. of wives that he appears <laughs> to have gone through. I know. And, He's always um, desperately trying to kind of revive Faulty Towers yeah. and stuff, but it doesn't seem quite right. Really. But, uh, but clearly what, what uh, is annoying Eric Idle is that the Python company is now run by Terry Gilliam's daughter. He, and so he was quite uh, on social media saying that, you know, that, that he'd been badly let down by that. And Cleese actually responded on social media. Oh, yeah, Cleese on, on behalf of him and... Uh, and Palin and, and whatever. That, that This woman is... They have no criticism of, the, of this person at all. And, uh, of course, Cleese has got the faulty towers running in the West End, doesn't he? That's right, yes. Just, I think, has he opened? Cleese rather sadly uh, also tweeted that he and Eric Idle always loathed and detested each other, which I thought was really sad, actually. It's sad that he'd said that. I didn't want to know that, actually. But Eric Idle, I tell you, I think I, think, uh, I was, uh, I I met Eric Idle. You did when you were interviewing Jagger, wasn't it? In well, I was in, I was in Barbados. Yeah, I was in Barbados interviewing Mick Jagger for Whistle Test. We're we're wandering around Barbados, filming, and I think Jagger brought Eric Idle along because I think he was a house guest or something. I think he keep him amused during the day, bring Eric Idle along. So this would be whenever like a court jester. Yeah, a bit of that. And this would be 86. Is this 86, I think? Yeah, it is. about that, yeah. And I remember thinking at the time, I wonder how Eric Idle makes a living. And that's 1986, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> that's 40 years ago. It was a bit of spam a lot, but that didn't last forever, did it? Well, none of none of those things last forever. You know, you've no way of guaranteeing. Oh, <laughs> And it's interesting, take somebody else from the same generation, I think I sent you this thing, Tony Blackburn. Yeah. <laughs> Tony Blackburn has just announced that he's quit his local radio show because obviously he doesn't have time to do it because he's doing, you know, whatever he does on Radio 2. He's, he's doing his live show, you know, this, that and the other. You know, the new Radio 2 digital service is probably going to use him and so forth. And so Tony Blackburn, at the age of whatever, Clearly gets up in the morning and works every bit as hard as he ever did. You know, that, that's how people, you know, that's how people keep the wolf from the door, isn't it, really, in those kind of positions. Uh, he's not sitting there expecting, um, you know, to live on the kind of, on the on the uh, the revenue from radio he did 30 years earlier, you know. And it could be that in future, fewer and fewer people will do that anyway. You know what I mean? Because they, the shape of the business will change in all kinds of ways. And then everybody will just will just keep on working for as long as they can because obviously life expectancy is a, is a lot different now than it was in the days when people, you know, aimed everything towards the pension at, at the age of 65. The Word Podcast, two cocoa tins and a piece of string. So talking of the length of time of careers... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. 
from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. couple of things. If I would say to you, if I were to read out to you this line, would you be able to place it? Pop picking is a fast and furious, fast and furious business. These days, whether you're on the recording studio side listening out or on the disc counter side listening in. Do you know where that comes from? It's I thought sl- it was from the back of a Beatles It's the sleeve, sleeve it's, notes of the first Beatles album. It is, that's right. So it's, it's, 1963. Yeah. Picking is a fast and furious business. You know, so that's 1963. And we like to think everything's moved really quickly. Did you see, sorry, I'm going to explain this in a moment. Uh, did you see uh, Taylor Swift at the Super Bowl? Uh, turning out of the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. Flew, flew back from Japan to be with the boyfriend and so forth and be in, in America's eyeline again, you know. Uh, flew back overnight from Japan to be there. And uh, apparently Kanye West, with whom she had arguments years ago, and a new album out, and so he too wanted to be at the Super Bowl and wanted to get as much attention as possible towards his new album. So he turned up at the Super Bowl in, in a Kanye West mask, which wore, which had the logo of his new album on the front of it, and booked, uh, booked a kind of box right in front of Taylor Swift's box at the, uh, at the Super Bowl, purely in order to get the attention when the camera moved to Taylor Swift. I thought... How are the mighty fall? That is desperate. <laughs> you have to do that. So he's doing this. That's pitiful, and apparent, isn't it? And it's like positioning yourself like an advertising hoarding, Absolutely. isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> Where the cameras will pick you up. Absolutely. And um, and so the story goes that Taylor's, Taylor took umbrage of this and made a couple of phone calls, and he was moved. He was taken out of the stadium on her orders. That's the power of Taylor Swift. That's now, superb. He, he argues about whether this was the case or not. But anyway, the point of this story, Mark, is they have had a beef, as I believe the young people call it yeah. nowadays, since he interrupted her presentation of, a, of a, an award at the Video Music Awards, okay? Do you remember this? Yeah, I do. And it was what a big said, moment for her, and he said, you shouldn't be getting this, somebody else should. Beyonce should Beyonce be getting Beyonce, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. Okay, how long ago, how long ago was that? It must have been about 10 years ago. 15, count them, 15 years ago. 
pot picking, no longer a fast and furious <laughs> business. Taylor Swift has been at the top of the tree for more than 15 years, Mark. Yeah. Nobody used to be at the top of the tree for that long at all. Didn't apply. You know, it's a totally different shape, isn't it, nowadays? It is. Absolutely extraordinary. The Word Podcast. Clearly, there is no plan. We recorded um, just the other day the... Um, Oh, he's a member of Gallon Drunk, actually. He's a musician, but also author, uh, Max Deshane, who's written this great book about teddy boys. Yeah. And uh, I was just having an email exchange with him afterwards. He sent me a picture of himself with Spider Stacy from, um, from the Pogues. And he'd been to Cosimo Matassa's studio, yeah. uh, which is where little Richard made his early hits. New Orleans. Uh, rip it up and stuff. Didn't he? I think Tutti Frutti was made there, actually, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. And it's now a laundrette with a little jukebox <laughs> in the corner and a little plaque on the wall saying this is where, you know, Tutti Frutti was recording. It's just a lovely idea. So it's now a laundrette. I thought it was quite interesting. I was just having a look at which studios were still where. Olympic, which is around the corner from where I live here, actually, is now a cinema. Uh, yeah, because is that some... what it was? That's what it was. Yeah. Before it was a studio. Yeah. Which is something it has in common with... Um, Stacks in Memphis. Yeah. That was all also uh, formerly a, cin- a cinema, and that's why it's interesting if you see photographs very often of stack sessions from the sixties. The floor is sloping, raked as the yes. the theatre because he used to have seating on it, you know. And uh, so you know, very often they return to their original purpose, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. But it's fascinating how they how they change. Certain studios, yeah, townhouse studios, flats. I think Motown and RCA Nashville are museums. I mean, you can tour around them. You know, Bearsville. I think it's a theatre complex. But it's also interesting. Quite a lot of these are still going. You know, Hansa is still going. Electric Lady. I didn't know that. Electric Lady is still going. Uh, Abbey Road, obviously. Muscle Shoals, Capital, Rack, Metropolis. Quite interesting, really. Well, they they they're with different specialisms. I think. Trident in, uh, in St. Anne's Court in Soho is still there, but it's kind of mainly post-production for telly and films and so forth. Uh, Metropolis, which is that huge Art Deco building, isn't it? Yeah, uh, in Chiswick. Like, in Chiswick. Uh, there's probably a lot of mastering and things like that go, yeah. go, on, go on in there. Rack in St. John's Wood High Street has been there for a long time and is still a very popular studio, uh, you know, which is not far from Abbey Road. And, um, but things like Electric Lady in New York, and they, I think they were refinanced not long yeah, they ago. Yeah, I think they kind of got a bit dilapidated and were rebooted. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I think it's a, it's, a very, it's, a very difficult, it's a very difficult business. But, you know, there are, there are still a few, but, you know, it's nothing compared to the the hundreds that, that used to be there. But, uh, yes, go and go to Cosima Matassa's studio and, uh, and get your socks washed. The Word Podcast, driving the digital kids to school since 2007. You, you were talking uh, the other day about spending the day with your, your six-year-old granddaughters and what you learned about the pop music process. Yeah, well, uh, well, it's half term, so, we, you know, we had them. Um, and we were planning to to go into town, actually. <laughs> this is classic. <laughs> Wife and I said, we'll take him into town. We'll take him to the National Gallery. Just show him some big pictures or whatever. That'll, that'll occupy a couple of hours or whatever. 
And they arrived, you know, first thing in the morning. And we said, we're going to go out. They said, no, we want to play Strictly. We want to play Strictly. And so they arrived with full changes of clothing. There's two six-year-old granddaughters. And um, what does that mean? Playing strictly? Just it's not it's a game they've invented, or is it? It's largely what they've invented. So basically, they put on clothes and they want to hear strictly music. So they, they play strictly music, Grandpa. Play strictly music. Why is strictly music? Interesting question. So you go and look on Spotify. And you you go and look on strictly playlists, and what you find, Mark, and this is what I learned about pop music is that all music is strictly music nowadays. So basically, Strictly Come Dancing, which is a popular television programme, Mark, goes on Saturday nights. <laughs> <laughs> and all the kids are loving it. And it, it involves, you know, celebrities and professional dancers doing dance routines to uh, popular popular music hits. Not on the side, uh, side of the street, run around Sue. Of that's the point. Putting on the rock of, pro- of all, you know, of all yeah. eras. And so, you know, they, they were playing hip hop hits and they were playing flip, flop, and fly. And they were playing putting on the rips, as you say it. And they'd be playing Beatles songs or Motown songs or Human League songs or absolutely anything. And so, as far as my six year old granddaughters are concerned, that's strictly music. And so, I thought it was really interesting. That is interesting. That if you'd said to them, I, I literally, I think what I'm about to say is literally true. I don't think my six-year-old granddaughters know what a radio is. Why would they? It's true. There is not a device yeah. that, that they would identify as a radio. They expect, quite reasonably, all music to just appear, come into the air wherever they are on the instructions of an adult. And so Grandpa plays Strictly music and I sit there and get my phone out and then there's there's a Bluetooth speaker in wherever you are and next thing you know, you're listening to, I don't know what, you know, Yazoo or, you know, Grandmaster Flash or Elvis Presley, or absolutely anything in between, wherever you are. Where the box came from is neither here nor there. You know what I mean? It's just the assumption that you can listen to anything anywhere. Yeah. Is, they've just grown up with that. And it's also it's interesting that it's such a, such a broad range of stuff, isn't it? The idea it is. that they're thinking that pop music is, does include putting on the Ritz and run around soon. Of course it is. Yeah. And uh, as much as, as, as you say, Grandmaster, what, Grandmaster Flash, I'm, I'm making that sound as meant to be contemporary. That was 40 years ago. You know? <laughs> yes. Incredible. <laughs> it is. And, uh, and of course, they then dress up and, uh, you know, fling themselves around the living rooms to, you know, some kind of, some kind of activity that is a cross between dancing and all in wrestling. And, uh, <laughs> and my wife and I sat in like a pair of chairs pretending to be the judges. And then at the end of the uh, their routine, in inverted commas, we hold up little paddles with the score on them. Oh, that's you know? brilliant. So you... they, got, they got given for Christmas, you know. 
So Do you have the, to diplomatically make sure that those scores are balanced each time? Of course. These are twin girls, after all. Of course we do. Yeah. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah. But we the winners to, are. Yeah. The same as, can, <laughs> yeah. you come, can you come back next week? Yes. You know, so that's it. You know, that's what I learned from my, from my granddaughters. You know, all pop music is Strictly. Strictly is all pop music nowadays. The Word Podcast. What's wrong with being sexy? And we've just been joined by our producer, Alex. Um, I'm sure you're both following the story of, of McCartney's bass, which is riveting. It was just, uh, it was just updated. Very interesting this morning on the Today programme, I thought, this being uh, Friday the 16th when we're recording. And it's clear now that, that this Hofner bass that he bought in Germany in 1961 for, I think, 30 quid, a lot of money, um, was stolen from the back of the Wings van in 1972 that was parked in Ladbroke Grove. And that McCartney, the roadie was in charge of it, went to the police and said it had been stolen, and it, this story got into the Evening Standard, and the guy who'd stolen it had no idea what he'd stolen and realised he had McCartney's bass, which was too hot to handle, and took it up the road to the Admiral, Admiral Blake pub and gave it to the landlord and said, can you possibly hide this for me? And that throughout all their, um, you know, investigations, they eventually went round, tracked down the people. The Admiral Blake incidentally was knocked down in 2002. So it must have been transported to another house. But in the attic of the house that did once belong to the landlord, there was the base. And it's been returned to McCartney. I thought it was just an interesting story. You know, because it's supposedly worth ten million pounds. I'm sure it is worth ten million pounds. But the thing is, you can't sell it. It's like a stolen Picasso or something, isn't it? That you know, you could only sell that to somebody who was going to keep it in a in a in, in some kind of a temperature controlled room somewhere, and after dinner with a glass of brandy, might show a few mates that he'd got it. But otherwise, what else are you going to do with it? So, Alex, has any one musician been so? uniquely identified with one particular style of instrument as Paul McCartney has with the Hofner violin bass. It it seems to me there isn't. I don't think there's anybody on the planet or any other instrument, actually. I mean, you get certain instruments which are associated with a genre, so you've got, you know, like a flying V guitar or whatever, that you you see one of those things, you just think rock in general as a a concept. But the Hofner violin bass... Is is a poor, is an extension of Paul McCartney's body, yeah. and to the mm. point where you see anybody else playing it, you just think, oh, they're they're, they're doing Paul McCartney. That's somebody ripping off Paul McCartney. They're in a tribute band. Yeah, it it's it's intrinsically tied to him, and it forever will be, I think. And I don't think it's that you know, there's no no other instrument on the planet that has that um, has that tie to any particular individual. And I don't think it will happen again because I suppose at that time as well. You know, electric guitars in general were a kind of a new concept. Yeah, they were. You yeah. know, uh, we don't have that benefit of like novelty in all senses now to to really yeah. theme kind of it in the same way. Um, you know, somebody brings a new guitar out and somebody starts using it. It's not really a big thing anymore. Uh, whereas, um, you know, that was just it was it was new and it was all so inc- all encompassing as well. But. Uh, yeah, it's fascinating, really. You almost don't see the guitar. You almost just see Paul McCartney's head. Yes. And neck on t- mm. <laughs> it's true. That's true. I, I do like the idea of people who steal things and and end up stealing far more than they intended to. The same thing happened to the great train robbers, didn't it? In, yeah, they didn't realise how much money they were going to get. And that's a, a huge problem. Yeah. If you steal half a million quid, relatively easy to get, get rid of. 
It's still three million, big yeah. problem, huge problem. It, it happens absolutely all the time. Um, Alex, while you're here, our rock correspondent, <laughs> <laughs> there's something being puzzling me. I read that Pearl Jam are playing a due to play the Tottenham Stadium, subject close to my heart, capacity over 62,000. Now, in my head, Pearl Jam are kind of middling successful. And I couldn't believe that however many years since their you know, the zenith of their career, which I always think is, what, 30 years ago in the early 90s, that they can still sell that many tickets in London. Did it surprise you? Uh, in a world where Shed 7 can now sell out an arena, nothing is impossible. <laughs> can they? Um, <laughs> The thing about um, Pearl Jam and grunge in particular is the drip down is massive. Now, they might have been the middling grunge band, you know, sub-Nirvana when they first first dropped, as the kids say. But, you know, the thing is, all those grunge kids now are dads. And now, because, of course, it's okay to like the music your parents like, because the parents you music like were the, were the rock bands that were cool in the 90s. They're all going with their sons. Um, and it's just, and also the legend of the things got bigger because they visibly influenced so many groups and are still around. Um, there's, there's, I suppose, kind of a an air of relevancy to them too. I mean, they've never really gone away. Eddie Vedder's still knocking about, you know. Um, and, and I was in Seattle last month, and we went to the Museum of Popular Culture. And of course, you know, they're from that 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 sort of neck of the woods. But there's there's a whole room, for example, a whole exhibition dedicated to Nirvana. The whole thing is absolutely huge because now it's seen through the looking glass of, um, you know, as being a, a seismic cultural revolution or movement in the, in the way it probably wasn't when it was happening because it was just happening. It was just a pop thing that was happening. But, you know, people look back on it 30 years later. But that's always the case, though, isn't it? That you never appreciate the time how big this thing's going to become or what yeah. it's going to represent. And no, I think you're right. And I think the same sort of things happen to Britpop in, in, in a way, you know, whether it's as big as grunge was is, is, is arguable. Maybe not because... I suppose it's a particularly British concept, whereas grunge, you know, grunge is quite a universal thing. Um, but all those bands, you know, they're 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 bigger than they ever were, and you know, and also I think that you know the fact that Dave Grohl is probably the world's biggest rock star has not harmed that at all. I know? suppose they they also benefit from the fact that Nirvana are not around. Yeah. So, you know, Anybody who broadly approves of the idea of grunge. Would want to go and attend that, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because you're just part of the whole movement. It's not specifically about Pearl Jam. Really. But is it is it also the case that there's an economic factor behind this? Because if fathers are taking their sons or daughters to these things because they like the same music, they're also supplying the money to do it. <laughs> so if it was left to the 18 year olds of the nation, they wouldn't be paying whatever you'd have to pay to go and see. Pearl Jam at the Spurs Stadium. Uh, those because it's too much money. Father pays it. So it's like, it's like taking your children on holiday now. Father pays it and also equips you with a pair of huge knee-length baggy shorts to wear. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing, because all those, you know, all those grunge kids now, all those ex-stoners, uh, uh, you know, I've got careers and houses and nice cars and cash to burn. You know, the paradigm's completely changed. Yeah, really. yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, it's interesting. The Word Podcast. Fix yourself a drink and it's like being in the pub. And we're joined by a very loyal supporter of uh, our various enterprises, Nick Foreman. Nick, lovely to see you and happy birthday. When was the birthday? It was yesterday, 15th. 15th. And how was that celebrated? Well, following on from your recent podcast, I watched Jaws with a couple hey! of Great! Wasn't it, it good? good? It was. <laughs> on, on this time, I watched it not as a shark movie, but as a... Uh, well, I just watched the relationship between the three fellas on the boat. There you um, go. And I, I watched out for the Popeye character as well, coming did out you, of the Did you oh, see him? Good. You saw him? It's the first time I've noticed it, actually. <laughs> oh, yes. that's great. So we're, we're performing a valuable service in our film club. We must keep it going. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed Nick, what's it. your, have you got a, 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 it's the tradition with our birthday guests that they have a, 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 a conversational log to chuck on the fire. Mm. Have you got any, uh, any, uh, any uh, proposition you want to head our way? Well, yeah, I'm scrolling through YouTube watching bands and things, and very often it's, uh, people say this, this, this act or this band or this artist was uh, underrated. And I, <laughs> I, I sort of feel that the term underrated is, Somewhat overrated. <laughs> Definitely. Listen, I've applied a lot of thought to this over the years, and and the use of underrated as a, as a, an adjective indicating you know favourable, indicating I like something, was coined entirely by middle aged men. It's nobody else because what rock it, critics mostly. Well, no, or Woodbridge rock critics. Well, you know, it's just a thing that blokes say. Blokes don't say, do you know, I like so-and-so. They, they don't do that at all. Blokes say, no, it's really underrated, actually. Because the implication is, I've spotted something here that other people haven't spotted. Because what, what they like is the idea that they, is that their definition of popularity is slightly elite, it's not the same popularity as every, everybody else uh, has. And so they will they will seize on the words underrated. They still say, people will still say to me, Nick Drake is underrated. I think that's preposterous. It's preposterous. That's Nobody just, could possibly have been more rated. It's highly rated. You know, but I, I, think, I think also that it's a, it's a male-female thing, is, is that yeah, yeah. by saying something's underrated, it means that you... Oh, nearly always a man. Care about what the consensus opinion is, and you care about where that positions you as regards that consensus opinion. Dave and I have always said this, but working in offices, we always noticed that 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 men would always say, "What's this that was playing?" And then you tell them, "We go, oh yeah, I quite like it, or I don't like it." But they wouldn't say what they thought of it until they found out what it was. In case they 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 said the wrong thing. Whereas girls would say, "This is great." What is what it? Is it? <laughs> It didn't matter to them at all whether that you know the consensus thought it was a good idea. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a, it's it's never going to go away. You know, it's it's one of the most uh, widely used uh, you know ways of, of of telling people that you like something, um, and because, because it implies that everybody else is thick and clothiered and you're not. <laughs> um, and I do occasionally think of things that are actually underrated, but even they get, get kind of taken up. And, they, you know, like you might have said 15 years ago that ELO were underrated. 
Now you'd be forced to say they're not underrated anymore. Everybody's just caught up with that, you know. There's the occasional act that is just sort of uncelebrated. You know, nobody writes a long piece in Mojo about how great they are, you know, um, which which eventually all acts will have yeah. a long piece in Mojo saying how great they were and how they were underrated. And, uh, you know, and there'll eventually be a box set of all their outtakes. It'll apply to absolutely all acts eventually. Uh, so there's just one of those things that we're stuck with, I'm afraid. Who do you think, Nick, is underrated? Well, actually, I don't. And in a strange backhanded way, when you mentioned earlier, uh, a few months ago, uh, Love's Forever Changes, you sort of validated my point of view. Oh. At the time, people were saying, Love Forever Changes, classic album. And I listened to it and I thought, Thank praise, damning, and all. So it's all right, Uh, but from from a personal taste point of view, it's just not my thing. But then I I suppose, and again, we're in the realms of cliches and things. You talked about ELO. Well, my dad had it out of the blue. Um, We also had, when I was growing up, the Carpenter's Greatest Hits. In fact, both both of them. And then over the years, it's it's kind of dawned upon people the Carpenters actually were you know, quite good, really, you know. Um, but, but then it's all it's a bit begrudging anyway, because people will sort of say, oh, yeah, but it was kind of down to those production values that Richard brought to the table, rather than just saying, you know, they made good songs, Karen had a brilliant voice. And they Would it have been a man saying that or a woman? Um, <laughs> I think you'll find it was to do with Richard's production values brought to the table. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's true, it's true. You know, everything everything gets rated eventually, I suppose. Is uh, and that's that's you know that's that's quite right, namely fair, I suppose. Eventually, um, so well, look, thanks very much for uh, okay. for your support, and uh, you know, get, turn your birthday celebrations into an entire weekend. You know, you have our permission. Thank to, you. Yeah, to well, give watch over. all the Jaws movies. Yeah. <laughs> watch Jaws <laughs> too. Don't watch Jaws four with Michael Caine. <laughs> <Cannon. laughs> no. So that's about good it. That's about it from us this week, isn't it? And as uh, so we got to all say good goodbye. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from Mark. Say goodbye, Mark. Goodbye all. Goodbye, Alex. Say goodbye, Alex. Bye, Alex. Goodbye, Nick. Goodbye. This podcast was brought to you by the Word. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.